Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Um, so one thing that I wanted to let you guys know is um, whenever we do these Bible studies on Tuesday evenings, um, we do have a Facebook group. If you ever wanted to reach out to me, I'm going to put my email address in the description. Um, you can email me. And I'll put you on the list. What I do every Tuesday is I'll send out a Zoom invitation meeting as, along with a uh, copy of notes that, uh, that we'll be using. And it's usually a fill-in-the-blank kind of a deal. Um, so anybody that wants to join in that regard, you can definitely email me and I'll add you to the list. Um, we ask only that you bring your, uh, your Bible, that you pray over the ministry. And, uh, you know, when you do come in and you do join, you know... Uh, you know, pay attention because at the end we do discuss the topic of the day. Uh, but what I'm going to start doing now is in the description of the podcast, I'm just going to copy and paste the notes on there. So anybody that's following along, um, don't do it obviously if you're driving, but if you're at home, you can look at them and uh, kind of follow along that way also. Uh, but um, with that, let's get uh, prayed up. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to First John chapter 2. We're going to be starting with verse 18. Um, and uh, go through verse uh, 23 today. So um, with that, let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for, you know, just another week, Lord, it, it, here in America where, you know, things seem tough sometimes, but really not as bad as they are around the world, Father. We definitely lift up Israel to you, Lord, and uh, we know what they're going through right now. Father, we pray just a hedge of protection around them and the people around them, Lord. Father, we pray over this study, we pray over the scripture, Lord, that, uh, you know, we would not be those that are attacking Israel, Lord. We know that, um, you know, that is your nation, Lord, and that is where Christ is going to come down on the Mount of Olives, Lord, and, and put his feet down, and, you know, it's going to split and divide, and, uh, Father, you know the word, you wrote it. Um, Lord, we just pray that we would be in your will, Lord, as we wait for that time to come. Father, um, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us, Lord, as we listen, as we um, get into your word, Lord, and, and seek to learn and know more of it, Lord. And, um, you know, just seek direction in our lives, Father, through your word. Father, we just thank you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what if I was to tell you that the Antichrist is not coming, but that the Antichrist is already here? You know, what would that do for you? What would the, How would that make you think? You know, I, I think in every day and age, if you look at it right now, that Satan has his Antichrist raised up. He's got him ready. But there is the restrainer, right? There is the Holy Spirit. There is God that is holding it back until the time of the end. You know, the Lord said that the, uh, the word says that the Lord is, um, he's slow in his wrath. That he is patient that all might be saved, right? So, that's why it's so important for us in this day and age also to go out and make disciples, to preach the gospel around the world so that people would be saved, right? Because we never know when we're going to be the last Gentile and, uh, you know, and the Lord's going to call the church up. We never know, but we're waiting for that day. And looking at current events, things are getting closer and closer. We'll never be closer to the point of... Uh, of Jesus coming back as we are right now, right? We're going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And, um, well, I mean, further away from that point, I mean, not closer, because obviously as time goes on, we're getting closer. But, uh, you know, the point is, 
the time is ready. But, you know, we live in a day and age when people openly reject God and deny His very existence. And, you know, that leads us to be a certain type of Antichrist. We have people today that claim to be believers, but at every turn do the opposite of God's will. Uh, you know, they vote against God's will. I'm not saying God is a Democrat or Republican, but, you know, you can see biblical principles played out in the different parties and uh, the opposition to them and the other, and yet people will vote in opposition to uh, biblical truth, the biblical principles. Um, and, and worst of all, they try and justify it, right? Now, the truth is that we as believers are a decided, uh, decided minority in this day and age. And it really has been that way for a long time. We know that our time is short and that we can see that it is getting shorter uh, by the day as we look at the current events as I mentioned before. You know we understand the law of entropy that all things that have a beginning must have an end. Now as time passes all living organisms break down and eventually decay completely. Now I think you can apply that same principle to society as well. You know, here in America, we started out as a nation grounded on Christian principles. We have moved further and further away from those principles, though. You know, the value system is in steep decline in our country. And as we see it around the world, you know, it, we're, we're locking step with each and every one of them. It, you know, um, it started with prayer and creation being legislated out of schools. Uh, it continues with gender reassignment and ch children being given the option to decide their gender, you know, and any opposition to that by parents or teachers or adults or basically anybody of sound mind um, is met with harsh penalties. And, you know, that's not right. It, you know, it goes against what God says, let there be male and let there be female. You know, children have been, uh, have very absorbent minds. They're influenced by their parents, by adults. We are their example. You know, if a child sees a parent work hard and live a virtuous life, study and read the Bible, give their life over to the Lord, that child is most likely going to go around and do the same thing. But if a child is raised in a home where, you know, the parents are constantly complaining, playing the victim role, and it, it, we see it day in and day out, uh, that child's going to grow up to be the same way because that's what that kid is going to learn to be is right, right? So, you know, if a child is taught a bunch of baseless theories and unproven fiction in school, they grow up believing it. You know, the theory of evolution, it's fiction. You know, if you look at it scientifically through the actual scientific process and not the, uh, you know, scientific system that we have set up right now where basically if, it, if it's anti-God, it's accepted. If it proves the Bible, well, then it's unaccepted, right? You know, as it relates to the scriptures today, John is addressing the new believer again though, as we look at these different things. Because as new believers, we come into a new world. We're facing new challenges. We have a, we're gaining a new understanding of what's going on around the world. But as we are learning those things, the world is fighting back. The world is always battling. It's always looking at different things. And that's why John is diverting our attention back to the Word. He's always calling us back to God's Word. Because in God's Word, we find the truth. In God's Word, we find perfection. We find direction, deliverance. So, let's go back and let's read verses 12 through 14 in 1 John chapter 2. And we'll take a look at what he means by little children. So, chapter uh, verse 12 says, 
I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known who, him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, well, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God, ab the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So our main point for today is the Antichrist is anybody that opposes Jesus as the Son of God. Now, as we know from this passage, our grounding comes from our relationship with God through our understanding of the Word of God. You know, in that we are given our marching orders to know the Word of God, because without that understanding, we become Antichrists. We stand in opposition because we are lost when it comes to the will of God. You know, the will of God is the way of God through His nature, not by what He wants, but who He is. You know, if we don't have that understanding, we too become those Antichrists. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as if you have heard from that, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So letter A. The last hour is marked by the denial and defiance of God. You know, John is calling out to the new in Christ, the newborn babes, with this warning. Now, I think this extends to all of the church, because if we do not keep our heads out of the sand, we can fall into the same deception. You know, we are all in many ways under the attack of the Antichrist. And by what, by what I mean by that is that every man in himself is an Antichrist. You know, we are all in opposition from birth to the will of God. It's when we get saved and come to know the true Christ that we turn away from that life. You know, we know that we have been living in the end days for a long time. John writes that we are in the last hour. Since Jesus came, we have been in the last times, knowing that the end is soon and Jesus' return is imminent. From the day, that day forward, we must be on alert. We know from the timeline of Scripture that there will be one ruler of the secular world at the end of the age, and he will be the Antichrist, right? The, you know, the main Antichrist, the, the head of the opposition to the Lord. We know that he will be both a political power and a religious leader, and as he is both ruler and a deceiver. Now, in studying for this, I read something interesting in Dr. J. Vernon McGee's commentary about the Antichrist, and I want to read that to you. It says, I personally believe that there are going to be two persons at the end of the age who will fulfill both of these types, being against Christ and claiming to be Christ. Scripture presents it in that way in Revelation 13. There we have presented a wild beast who comes out of the sea, the people, and Satan is the one who calls him forth. That is the political ruler, and he is definitely against Christ. There is a second beast who comes out of the land. He appears to be a lamb, but he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He pretends to be Christ, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's John 1.29. He will be a religious ruler. The political ruler will come out of the Gentile world, the former Roman Empire. The religious ruler will come out of the nation of Israel. They will not accept him as their Messiah unless he did. You know, it's very important that he comes out of Israel. 
so that you have actually two persons who will together fulfill the term Antichrist. They are coming at the end of the age, and both of them can be called Antichrist, one against Christ and the other instead of Christ. Now, that really made a lot of sense to me, and when you add it in, uh, add in Satan, who influences both of them, you have the trinity of Satan, right, and the Antichrist as a whole. Now, in this day and age, we have to be on constant alert for these people. And not just the actual Antichrist, but also those that claim to be Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, if you do a simple Google search, you will see um, that there is a vast list of people that have come out and claimed to be uh, Jesus, or the reincarnation of Jesus. Um, two things to remember when you see somebody coming out and claiming to be Jesus. Uh, first of all, if they say they're the reincarnation of Jesus, well, reincarnation is not a biblical principle. Reincarnation comes from uh, Eastern mysticism. Okay, uh, It's a doctrine that basically states that you are born again and again and again into different uh, beings or entities until you are able to live a life of 100% virtue. Now, that is such an unloving doctrine and such an unappeasing uh, doctrine. Why would you want to keep coming back and coming back and coming back? You know, if the scariest thing in the world is death, why would you want to face death over and over and over and over again, right? And we all know that none of us is perfect. You know, the Bible tells us there is none good, not one. And there is no way we're ever going to live a virtuous life. So you're basically trapped in some kind of a time warp according to that doctrine. The second thing is here, when Jesus returns, the Word of God says that He's going to be coming on the clouds and that the whole world is going to see it. You know, He's not just going to show up in Waco, Texas all of a sudden uh, or, or any of these other places. You know, the, it, it, it's very clear what it's going to look like when Jesus comes. And so don't be deceived by these people. Know the Word of God, understand the Word of God, look to the Word of God in all things, especially when it comes to uh, to Jesus, right? I mean, he is the most important piece. Uh, you know, he's going to show up again at the end of the age and do battle with the nations at the end of the age, at the end of the Gentiles, right? And so, you know, those are two things that we should know and understand when it comes to Jesus coming back, to uh, who the Antichrists are and who he actually is, right? Who Jesus actually is. You know, there is no new message. There is no last testament as some of the heretics claiming to be Jesus claim that there is. We have to remember that Satan is a deceiver and disguises himself as an angel of light. Remember, any new theology presented by anybody is deception. Unless we find it in the Bible, it is antichrist. It is anti-Christian. So, in our new state and in and our old in the Lord, we must always remember that the Word of God is the authority in our lives, and that has always been given to us by God, never to change. Verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, uh, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that one of them were of us. Now the Antichrist is marked, letter B, the Antichrist is marked by the arrival of the apostate church. 
Now here John brings to light the presence of the apostate church, separating from the church of Christ. You know, these are the false teachers that have tried to go out and change doctrine amongst leaders in the church to their own, but being unsuccessful, leave the church of their own record, uh, of their own accord, I'm sorry. You know, there are two uh, are many denominations today that have deviated from the truth of God to fit the narratives of the world. The Roman Catholic Church holds to a preterist belief that the events of Revelation happened in the first century and that the Pope is Christ on earth. Uh, we have the Lutheran denomination this past week appointing the first transgender bishop in their church. The Methodists with several homosexual and female pastors leading congregation, and honestly we can go on and on and on. Without naming names, you know, it gets pretty, pretty rough. Now, in this also we need to understand that there are those that claim to be the church but are not of it. And this leads us to find an understanding of the visible church and the invisible church. Okay, and so by the visible church, I mean a visible group that participates in local worship and fellowship. You know, these are those that have an outwardly showing of membership inside the church. Okay, these are the guys that live six days a week for the world and for two hours on a Sunday put on their best clothes, show up to church, and, uh, you know, go back home and all bets are off again, right? They got that blessing. Oh, I got that blessing for the week. I'm good to go. I'm clean, right? doesn't work that way. Um, that's the, the visible church. Those are the ones that are outwardly making the appearance of being the church. But then you have the invisible church. And those are those people that are visible uh, among the visible church that have the inward or spiritual dedication to the true church of Christ. Those are the people that are going to church, that are serving, that are living lives of, uh, of servanthood to the Lord, that have given themselves wholly over to the Lord. Right? That's something that you, you, you definitely see, but it can be easily covered up right? Um, by others that are, are, are outwardly doing it, but not inwardly sold out. Right? Uh, the invisible church is the church that has given their hearts over to the Lord for uh, a real confession. Right? That are, 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 those are the ones that you can lean on, that you can push on, that you can turn the heat up on, and they're never going to give up. They're always going to be there sold out for the Lord. You know, we mention a lot about that group that lives six days a week for the world and only practice some kind of piety on Sundays. You know, this is the visible church. The invisible church are those that live for the Lord daily at all times, that live wholly given over to Jesus. You know, we also see in this verse, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now, this is not an implication that we are saved by our endurance, but that our endurance is a result of our salvation. Now, if we are truly given over to the Lord, we then will participate in our faith, meaning live out our faith every day, no matter what the cost. Those that do not, uh, do not, as we know, will eventually leave, right? Now, this also brings about a, a question that was posed to me earlier in the week is, well, I know there's the, the Calvinist or the Reformed view that holds this verse as a, uh, a proof for the uh, once saved, always saved group. Well, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I believe it's very hard to lose your salvation, but I believe at the end of, uh, of the day, it's up to you whether or not you are going to hold on to it. 
God will never let you go. God will always keep trying. He'll always keep knocking. He'll always keep calling to you. But it's up to each and every one of us to answer that call. You know, if we are in the church for 30 years and suddenly we decide we don't believe anymore, we're going to walk away, we're going to openly oppose everything that goes on, well, then I think you lose your salvation at that point. Um, you know, once saved, always saved kind of comes with a lot of stuff, um, especially the irresistible grace doctrine where, where it says, you know, whether you want to be saved or not, you're going to be saved. That's not God's character. You know, God is loving. He wouldn't force you to do anything that you don't want to do. But, um, you know, I do believe you can lose your salvation. And, you know, you hold on to your salvation by endurance. You prove it. You work it out. You're constantly growing in it. Um, you know, it, it, it's just something like that. You know, if, knowing the truth, knowing the right way to do things, and, and, and what's godly and not godly, and doing the opposite of what is godly makes you an antichrist. And I don't think antichrists get saved. You know, why would you bring um, non-believers into heaven uh, against their own will? It, it, it's... It's unloving. It's it's mean. It's it's not right. It's it's a a foreign doctrine that I don't believe in. Now we can use the term unmasking when it comes to those that leave the church for their own gain. They are made manifest. It means that their motives are put out on display. You know, think of Judas Iscariot. Here's a good example: who held on to the money as he followed Jesus during his ministry, but left or went out from the disciples to achieve personal gain, right? He sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Also think of Judas this way too. And uh, the, the one saved, always saved argument. What did Judas do? You know, he was called by God. He followed Jesus for three years during his earthly ministry. And on the night before he was crucified, what did he do? He turned his back on him and he went away. He sold him out. Now, what did Judas get into heaven? It doesn't seem like he repented. It, you know, he was truly hurt. He was broken. He hung himself, you know, the word says. And he, you know, the, the limb or the, or the rope broke. And his gut split out all over the field. And, he, you know, he took a life also. You know, that's murder. He knew the difference between right and wrong. And so I, I don't believe we'll be seeing Judas on, uh, you know, our side of the battle in the end of days. But, you know, once saved, always saved again. Does that keep him saved? No, because he acted contrary to the will of God. Um, in First Timothy, you know, we're, uh, you know, the word is very ex explicit about false teachers and about what happens with these guys when they do move away. First um, Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and perceived themselves through their, uh, their many sorrows. In Titus ch uh, chapter 1, verse 11, out of the King James Version, I'm going to read this, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which, ought, which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. And the only reason I use the King James on that one is because I wanted to say filthy lucre. I'm sorry. But Second uh, Peter also, chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way the world, uh, uh, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
you know, true belief means not achieving, not gaining monetary uh, value, not boasting, not putting ourselves above others or seeking attention, but being humble, serving God, doing what we are called to, uh, to do and being who we are called to be, and doing it with joy. You know, many people want the glory without the grind. Ministry, as we are all called to, means that we have to do some of the dirty work sometimes. It means standing in the gap when somebody else will not. It means being humble. You know, humility comes in our submission to the Lord and nothing else. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So letter three, letter three true Christians are spirit-filled. We are not driven by our own desires as believers. We are spirit-led. When we are given over to the Lord, now having the Holy Spirit indwelling with us also gives us knowledge of the actual Word of God and the ability to know the difference between the Word and the false teachings of the Apostles. Remember this epistle was written in response to the false teachings that the Gnostics were outspreading about Jesus. Uh, remember, these guys were saying that Jesus is a phantom, um, that he wasn't physical. Or Jesus was just a man, but had the Holy Spirit during his ministry, but lost it at the cross. You know, this was the group that was going out that was spreading this. But it takes away from God, because God was fully God and fully man. He was a physical person. He ate. He was touched. Remember, you can't touch the hem of, uh, of a garment of, of a phantom. You know, you, you have to touch something physical that's there. You know, God had given us discernment, has given us discernment in these matters. You know, in today's day and age, there's so much stuff spread out there. So many lies, so many uh, weird doctrines that come out. Uh, look around Easter time and Christmas time at, uh, you know, National Geographic putting out the stories about the, the, the true nature of Jesus and this, that, and the other. Well, I want to tell you that there is no special knowledge that nobody else has figured out yet. Um, there are no secret scrolls or this infamous Q document that nobody... Uh, a lot of the false teachers like to hold on to, but nobody's ever seen. You know, it's hypothetical. Um, you know, false teachers like to throw that stuff out there. Stuff that's unverifiable, but they will fight you tooth and nail to hold on to it. Because they are getting some kind of gain out of it. You know, their name is being propped up. There's money and book deals and all this stuff coming out of it. You know, that, that, that's not the message that God has. And, you know, and even some of the megachurches around here, um, they'll water down the gospel, right? Hey, you're going to be rich, you're going to be famous, and, you know, God just wants you to have comfort. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? You know, our comfort comes in our discomfort, because our comfort is knowing that God is working on us when we are going through trials, when we are going through temptations, we are going through all this different stuff, not when we are lax, you know, when you're lax, it means you're, there's something wrong. That you've either deviated from the way of the Lord, or that, uh, you know, you're ignoring it altogether. Because in order to be like Jesus, in order to walk the path of Jesus, in order to understand the struggle that, uh, you know, the Christian life brings, you have to go through stuff. You have to go through trials. You know, you're either in denial, or you're uh, just not paying attention, and that, you know, that that comes with error, and error comes when men decide what is right and what, what is wrong, and that's what the false teachers do. 
You know, how do we know all things according to the Holy Spirit? Well, that comes from prayer and checking the scriptures to see what is true and what is not true. Remember, we hear it all the time in church, right? We hear it on radio broadcasts of sermons. We should have this verse memorized by now. And I'm talking about Acts chapter 11, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 11. It says, These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they, were received, uh, that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You know, discernment is a gift, I believe we all have, but must develop. And we do that by staying in the Word and seeking God's answers to all things and everything given to us. Verse 21. It says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So letter D, the truth of God is undeniable. Christians do not, do not deny it in any way. Again, we are not given any new truth or revelation at any time. Scripture is closed up and it is perfect. Many new religions spring up out of every generation, all claiming to have the truth and all the answers, but in turn become poison to their followers as they are led away from the truth of God and follow the doctrines of man. When we hear something that does not seem correct, we confront it. Do not let anybody under the, the, the guise of kindness or virtue deceive you. Always check their doctrine and see if they are who they claim to be. Now, I received a letter this week from a neighbor of mine that's a Jehovah's Witness. And it was inviting me to a, a Bible study at his house or somewhere. And it came along with a tract from the Watchtower organization. Now... It is a belief of theirs that the Holy Spirit is held up at their headquarters of the Watchtower and gives them special revelation that they disperse throughout the Watchtower magazine. Okay, We know from reading the Bible that, that that's impossible. Okay, Now aside from being completely untrue, the Holy Spirit and God, for that matter, are not limited to being in one place at, one, at any given time. Right? Uh, the Watchtower has made several predictions about Jesus' return and missed the mark on them. That means that it is a false prophet and whatever demonic entity that is out there feeding some really nice people bad doctrine, it's doing its job pretty well because people are being deceived regularly by it. You know, we know, though, by God's word that the truth uh, and anything different is not from God but from the enemy. You know, we must be diligent in our study. We must stay in the Word. We must be aware of the things people are out there pushing. Because right now, as we speak, the new religion is the religion of politics, if you look at this world. And many of the visible church seem to, be, uh, to worry more about being the best Republican or the best Democrat and not being the best Christian. Remember, folks, we may have several alliances but our most important one is one with Jesus. Deception comes easily, and so we must focus on God's truth in all that we do. Otherwise, it's easy to get pulled away. Verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. 
Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So letter E, anybody that denies Jesus is Antichrist and does not truly know God. You know, denial that Jesus is the, anti is the Christ is not the only thing that is implied here. It is the denial that he came in the flesh at all. Remember, the Gnostics taught that Jesus was a phantom. The, uh, they taught that all matter was evil, and so Jesus could not be a physical person. Others denied that Jesus was the incarnation of God, but merely a man. As we covered before, people today claim Jesus was just a man and a good teacher and not the Son of God. Take, for example, the letter I received from the Jehovah's Witness. Now, their belief is that Jesus really is the archangel Michael that transformed into Jesus and after the cross transformed back into the archangel Michael. Okay, so what happens there? Well, Jesus isn't divine because Jesus isn't the Son of God anymore. He was just an angel playing the part, right? So, um, it's very common in many cults to claim to be Christian, but in turn are not at all, right? Because the doctrine changed, the Bible translation changes, and all it takes is one false teacher to get out there, decide that he doesn't like the doctrine of the Bible, and change it to fit his own narrative. You know, make himself feel better about it, sell it to a few people. Those few people, you know, the law of sixes, you're going to impact six people. Those people are going to go tell six more people, and so on and so forth. The next thing you know, you have millions of people around the world buying into this false doctrine. Now, it's not just religious people uh, as well that make these claims. And this is not, uh, and this is who John is writing about. A better translation of this verse can be found in the RSV, and I'll read that to you. Uh, verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. You know, it is the ultimate lie to misrepresent Jesus and deny him as the Christ. And those who oppose Jesus, that makes that person the Antichrist. Not meaning that they are the one Antichrist to come, but that they possess the spirit of the Antichrist that is already in the world. Now, when I mean by non-religious people making this claim, is you do have the atheists, you do have the agnostics, you do have those people that, uh, you know, claim that religion is just a moral code, that the Bible is just a moral code to live by, but, you know, not all of it's true, stuff like that. Uh, you know, these are people that don't know how to read with comprehension in, in some instances, you know. Uh, you know, if you notice the second part of that verse there, it says that this is the Antichrist. Anybody that denies Christ is in themselves an Antichrist. You know, these are people that we need to be, as Christians, witnessing to and praying for. Because if we don't, they will face destruction and judgment. You know, we have a duty to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so that means sharing Jesus with them and praying that they come to know God as we do. Because as the verse reads, if we do not know Jesus, we do not know God. Of course, as I beat like a drum today, we must search the scriptures and look at the facts when it comes to Jesus. The Old Testament predicts his coming. The Gospels tell us about his life and the epistles are a commentary about his life. We also have prophecy to see that his claims are true and that his work is not yet complete and we can anticipate it. 
Now, not knowing Jesus also means also that we do not truly know God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. You know, it is all again comes back to having discernment and knowing the word of, uh, of God. You know, without Jesus, we have nothing. All the religions of the world will try and offer an alternative, but only Jesus is the authentic way. John gives us the undeniable truth of the whole message. When false teachers and outwardly believing individuals separate themselves from the true church, it is because they deny the Son. If we do not have the Son, we do not have the Father. And you cannot have the Father without the Son. Anything else is heresy. Now, I know that most of us listening are searching for the Son. Or have found the Son and are using this as a resource to uh, you know, study against. Or maybe you're on the road somewhere and, and, and you're listening. and um, you know, Maybe you're new to the faith or old to the faith and you just want to see what this guy has to say. Well, you know, I want you guys to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God on earth, the, the incarnation of God on earth. And we need to understand that because all of our faith, all of our knowledge, everything starts with that truth. And so, you know, speaking along those lines, I'm reminded of a story of about uh, of a uh, World War II era uh, father. Now, he had, a, uh, he had a son that was enlisted in the army, and before he went off to, uh, to fight, the, the father had a painting commission of him, uh, a portrait. And so, the father also was a very, um, very picky art collector, and he had several very expensive pieces in his collection, and, uh, you know, they were stored up around his house, and uh, you know, along with those was the painting of his son. And so the son went off to war and news came back that he had passed away in battle. And so the father was devastated. And so he decided, well, I'm going to have an auction and get rid of all these paintings. And so, he, you know, he put out the word and all these people showed up and they went through and they put bids on all these paintings. And when the auction actually started, the first painting that was up was the painting of the sun. Now, it wasn't the best painting. You know, it was kind of obscure. Like, nobody really knew who this guy was other than it was his son and he was a soldier and he passed away. And, you know, it took a while for anybody really to bid on this uh, this painting. But finally, somebody paid for it. And they paid a really super cheap price for it. It was the highest bid. And it sold. And the father got up and he went to the podium and he said, okay, this auction is over. And everybody was really up in arms about, well, what happens with all the other paintings? We only bid on one painting, right? This, this only took place for a few minutes. And what the Father said rings true for us today. Without the Son, you have nothing. But if you have the Son, you have it all. Father God, Lord, thank you for sending your Son to save us. Lord, thank you for sending him to the cross for each and every one of us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for putting his name above all names. Lord, that our trust and our belief and our faith in that name is what saves us, Father. 
Father, we thank you today again for all the blessings that you put on our lives, Lord. We thank you for the trials, Lord, that we can attack them with joy, Father, as you work through us. Lord, we pray through the temptations, Lord, that you would move us through those, that you would give us strength, Lord, to you know, deny the flesh the way you did so many times, Lord. Father, we just pray and we ask your guidance. We ask your, your blessing on our lives, Lord, as we go forth this week. Lord, use us in a way that glorifies you. Father, we just ask you and we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, guys, that concludes our study for this week. Hope to see you next week. And um, like I said, check the description for the notes. Uh, enjoy your week.